Welcome to Embers and Wind. Are you feeling a calling to serve? What if answering this calling unleashes from deep within you leadership potential? I'm your podcast host, Keith Weedman. Blended three decades experience with knowledge from multiple disciplines to unleash hidden potential in others. In this weekly podcast, my distinguished guests and I will share what fuels us and how we serve. You will feel a gentle wind on the embers of service that glow within you. You will receive kindling for your capabilities and knowledge to build skills. You can utilize this gentle wind to ignite the kindling. You will be guided to do this for people you lead and serve. You can apply what you learn with people you love. Get ready to feel the gentle wind. Welcome to this week's episode of Embers and Wind. Today we have a very special guest. Our guest today is someone who has grown up in the Christian church, and he's driven by his faith. He currently is the product development and marketing manager at Costco. He's been at Costco for the last five years. He also is very active in the community. He's in the Rotary Club, and he also is someone who cares about people. He's been extensively involved in volunteer work in the community. He's a giver, and his name is Eric Riddle, and today's episode is Watershed Moments. Welcome, Eric. Keith, thanks for uh, having me on the show today. I appreciate it. You're very welcome, Eric. Let's talk about the flood. You and I met in the flood. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the flood. Well, we're talking about the Columbus flood that happened on June 7th, 2008. And I was working at the hospital here in town at Columbus Regional Health. And the hospital was nice enough to put everyone uh, who was employed into different roles in the community. And so I was placed at the United Way here in town and joined the uh, case management team. And uh, we, we met there in the first few days after the flood uh, at some community meetings as we were forming, you know, a coalition of citizens who really wanted to help us bounce back. So I, uh, I wound up writing a book uh, about the, the first year flood recovery, right? And, and that book is called Watershed Service in the Wake of Disaster. And in the book, I, uh, between chapters, have essays written by different community leaders about how their organization uh, supported the flood recovery. And, and really, through that writing and all the, the guest essays in there, I just got very uh, involved in the nonprofit community and really got a new appreciation for Columbus and a deeper love for the community we have here. And Columbus Regional Health was your employer at the time. And yet you very definitely were clearly engaged in the recovery endeavor. Yes. Well, the, the hospital gave us, you know, the job of doing that, which was incredible to be able to get paid and do that disaster recovery work. Um, I had actually gone down to Gulfport, Mississippi, uh, two years in a row following Katrina. Uh, through Asbury United Methodist Church here in town. And so those two 
mission trips acquainted me to how to support a community after a disaster, you know, in that case, a hurricane. And so I had a definitive moment just hours after the the flood and witnessing the flood here that um, I had been prepared to some degree through those two uh, mission trip experiences to do all I could to, to work in the community uh, with, you know, FEMA workers who came uh, to support the community and just all the incredible people who, who descended upon Columbus to help in the cleanup. It was it was a massive effort. And I was just so thankful to be able to, to join others and, and helping out uh, a lot of homeowners whose homes were destroyed. You mentioned Asbury Church. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about Asbury Church's role in the cleanup? Well, Asbury had been doing these uh, mission trips for a number of years, and uh, a lot of organization went into that. So it was part of the DNA of the congregation to be able to do this, you know, outside of Columbus. You know, no one at Asbury would have ever dreamed that we'd be doing that same sort of work here in our own town. Um, But uh, we were able to hit the ground running really from the very beginning of the flood. I will always remember the gymnasium at Asbury Church and how it had been converted into a supply room. Yeah. A really large supply room. That's right. For flood recovery. Well, the church is only a few blocks from Columbus North High School where a lot of the people who whose homes had flooded, they, they went to North and they were uh, living in the gym there for the probably a week after the flood. And so that was a supply depot just within easy walking distance from where people were having to, you know, have cots and figure out what their next steps would be. And you did a lot of work in homes, people's homes. Tell, tell, tell us about the type of work you did in people's homes. Well, so I, there was one particular home, uh, Babe and Jean Heron, who live in the Pleasant Grove neighborhood. And that neighborhood is kind of like in a basin almost. And so that was the worst hit part of town. And about 40 homes were actually destroyed. Uh, The entire first floor on a lot of those homes was completely full of water, you know, floor to ceiling. Uh, Babe and Jean's home is on um, a hill going up. uh, So their home wasn't quite as impacted but, uh, you know, everything from helping them acquire funding to helping put the drywall up on the walls, uh, I was able to be a part of that. And so seeing what happened in that neighborhood really had a profound impact on me uh, to, to see people lose their homes, uh, to see how the federal government came in and worked with our city to support those families in giving them the pre-flood appraisal value of their home. And uh, seeing how that uh, property today is vacant lots. And so part of my work, you know, fast forward, um, you know, 12, 13 years here has been to say, you know, in that area that was so devastated by the flood, just just down the hill from Babe and Jean Heron's house, how cool would it be to have a, a flood memorial park there? So a lot of my volunteer work has been around you know, how, how can we make that happen? Uh, there is about two acres there. And it, it's taken me into a lot of interesting uh, places because when you're dealing with uh, FEMA, uh, it, it takes a lot of uh, red tape cutting through that to, to make this a reality. But we, we do have a plan uh, for that property. And uh, right now we are um, 
looking to make it a pollinator park. Uh, but before we dive into that project as a new park, we've began work at Blackwell Park up on the north side of Columbus, where we're um, creating a trail system. There is a um, a story walk the local library has put in, mm-hmm. and uh, we've put in hundreds of native plants in, into Blackwell Park. Would it be fair to say you're a super volunteer t- today? A super volunteer? <laughs> uh, sure. You know, I... You know, we're, we're talking about how you go from a flood to loving flowers here. Uh, it, it's crazy what kind of, you know, routes you go on when you when you get passionate about something. But, um, you know, a passion to make a park has turned into a love for native plants, for uh, native pollinator species, you know, birds, bees, butterflies, bats, uh, you know, um, and, and yes, so I, I volunteer. It, it's created uh, just a, a growing awareness of wanting to support the environment. You know, you, you mentioned that I'm a Christian here at the beginning of the episode. I, I would say my ministry has really become about uh, stewardship of the environment. I have a lot of fun doing it, you know, and I enjoy organizing people to, to do big events, but I'm just as happy getting out there and getting dirty planting, weeding, pruning, whatever. When you talk about helping other volunteers, so there is a leadership role to this. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about the leadership, and you have a team of volunteers that you work with. Right. So we have a Columbus Pollinator Committee, and that started out um, about five years ago to support the development of the Pleasant Grove Flood Memorial Park. And... uh, after we got approval for the park, so the plan is approved, we then moved into supporting other parks in town. And so a lot of my leadership has been about getting different groups here in Bartholomew County to work together. So we've got, for example, the Purdue Extension, Sierra Club, the Soil and Water Conservation District, the Public Library, which now has a seed library, which is really cool. Uh, local companies are involved, the Nature Conservancy, Sycamore Land Trust. I mean, there's a lot of different organizations who care about the environment, and uh, I've just done all that I can to help develop partnerships uh, within those groups. And um, it's been really cool to see us working together. Just this past weekend, we had a um, free screening of a documentary called Five Seasons about a landscape architect named Pete Adolf, and we had 100 people come out uh, to Yes Cinema, and it was just a really awesome experience to see 100 people uh, want to learn more about landscape architecture and learn more about what the Columbus Pollinator Committee and Landmark Columbus is doing to support our local environment here in, in Columbus. I remember hearing you speak with somebody else who, who came to Rotary as a guest program. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell about what you were shared at that program. Are, are you speaking of Rachel yes. Kavate? Yes. Uh, Rachel is a landscape architect practicing here in Columbus. Uh, her firm is called Loci Creative, and she did the design for the Pleasant Grove Park, and she also did the design for uh, 7th and Washington, which is called Fresh Start, and we just got that project completed in May. Um, actually with a lot of volunteers from United Way on the United Way Day of Caring this year. It's been awesome. You know, 
I love architecture. I love landscape architecture, but it's I'm I'm actually a history major from IU, uh-huh. and then I have an MBA. But being able to hang out with architects, landscape architects, is really nice. And and Rachel is really fun to work with, and she's got a, a deep passion for using native plants in her designs. So um, when I came to Rotary, that was in support of uh, Rachel and, and talking about her her landscape design there at Pleasant Grove. I remember it was quite impressive. She's really good, yeah. Now, you've been involved networking with a lot of different organizations. Tell us about the Park Board. The Park Board? You know, I've only presented to them one time, uh-huh. and that was when we were getting support through the Columbus Planning Commission mm-hmm. uh, for the for the Pleasant Grove plan. And I, I, I work a lot with the Parks Department, Parks right? Department. And so... The director and uh, Jim Lemke are both on the uh, Columbus Pollinator Committee Executive Committee, and uh, we're working on making Columbus a bee city, which Mm -hmm. is a uh, national designation. There's about 200 cities that are currently bee cities, and Indiana does not have one yet. So we're really striving to become the first bee city in the state. And What, What does that mean, to be a bee city? Well, you have to have a documentation of different pollinator um, habitats that you're either maintaining or planning to create. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have a integrated pest management plan uh, to reduce the use of pesticides in your public spaces. You have to file a annual report that lists uh, you know, the activities you're doing. Uh, you have to have one uh, community celebration each year, and you have to maintain a list of local native plants uh, that you recommend. And all of this has to be done through um, a resolution passed through the city council. So uh, we're well on our way. Uh, we're hoping to get that designation uh, this fall. We're doing a lot. We, we've studied a lot of these other cities because the B City annual reports are public on the the B City USA website. And so one of the first things we did as a committee was to go and look at all these different reports and see what other communities are doing. And the things that we are doing here in Columbus um, easily qualify us to to earn this recognition. Just as there were people that had to relocate from their homes, there's a lot of insects that have been affected. Yeah. Tell us about the insects. Well, you, you know, I have I'm learning a lot. I, I I'm really I, I tune to a lot of podcasts. Um, like I said, I'm a, I'm a history major and, a, and an MBA business guy. So this is this has been new to me over the last four to five years. But what we know about insects is that many of them have co-evolved with native plants. Native being you know plants that have been in this place in Indiana um, since really before European settlement. So you want those plants to remain in this place for the insects and birds to be able to continue to live with those plants that they've co-evolved with. So when you're planting native plants, you're, you're really supporting the entire food chain of that area in which you live. And so it's kind of funny, you'll go to like a big box store and they're promoting plants that will never be touched by a bug. Well, when a, when a plant is not touched by a bug, it means you're not 
feeding insects, you're, and therefore you're not feeding other creatures up the food chain. Mm-hmm. So I joke around that I want my yard to be eaten. You know, not not only the edible things that I plant so I can eat them, but also uh-huh. I want you know my flowers that I choose for my yard to be full of leaves and flowers that insects you know can can use to to live and thrive. And so I just I, I love going outside to take a break and seeing a lot of insects buzzing around. And I will say I've never been stung in my yard, and I've got a lot of flowers out there. So uh, I, I just want people to know that the bees aren't coming out to get us. Well, most people have noticed <laughs> that there's much fewer bees. Right. Yeah. You know, I uh, I planted 38 butterfly weed uh, walking the entrance up to my uh, house on the walk up there, and I can walk, you know, any morning or evening and be among a lot of bugs to my left and right. It's just a matter of the, the plants you choose. And there's a lot of awesome resources. Uh, I was actually just in a meeting a couple of weeks ago with a woman who works with the Indiana Native Plant Society. Uh, if you go to the Indiana Native Plant Society website, there's a lot of different ways to filter and sort to, to learn what are the best plants to plant um, you know, on your property with all kinds of different um, you know, conditions you might be looking for, sun, shade, water different soil types. I mean, it can sound complex, but if you really want to learn, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of groups on Facebook and other places that that want to teach. You know, I I think there is a growing awareness that we need to take care of, you know, feeding the birds and the bees and and these beneficial creatures that uh, have lived here a lot longer than we have. One of the insects that stands out to me is butterflies. Yeah. When I was growing up, I used to collect butterflies, and I noticed there's not as many around these days. Yeah. Well, you know, dill, the herb dill, is actually one of the most amazing attractors of uh, swallowtail butterfly caterpillars. Mm-hmm. And I planted dill for the first time last year. I built some raised beds in the front yard, and I had a really big section of dill. And they weren't really coming around, and I was about to take them out because the flowers had had died off, and it wasn't really edible for me anymore. You know, the dill Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to use for my own consumption. But I decided to stake it up, and I roped it off a little bit. And in, like, late August, September, I could not believe the number of caterpillars on that dill. So um, I've got dill out there again this year. And Uh also I mentioned the butterfly weed. Uh-huh. In my front yard, that's a big attractor of uh, monarch caterpillars, mm-hmm. and and I had a lot of those last year also. So, like I said, there's just very close relationships between different types of plants and different kinds of insects that will mm-hmm. either um, have the caterpillars on the plant, mainly for the leaf, or that mm-hmm. use the pollen from the flower, right? So you have a host plant for the caterpillar, or you have... Um, you know, the nectar that you're getting mainly for the adult butterfly. So it's really fun, you know, when you read this certain insect likes this plant, then you plant it, then voila, there you go. The insect arrives, you know, nature, nature happens out there. Now I'm a member of Rotary. Yeah. And I was pleased to to see you join Rotary. Tell us about that experience. 
And what drew well, you? Well, you know, last year I set up a home office in my basement, my man cave, and I, I I've liked working from home okay, but I'm not out in the community as much. And about six months in, I was thinking I've I've got to be around people. Uh, you know, I, I'm missing this connection to the local community. And you mentioned I had spoken at Rotary a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I've had a couple other experiences at Rotary over the years. I've always enjoyed it. And one of the main things I really like about Rotary is there's always a community education element. About half of the time mm-hmm. with Rotary yeah. is community education, which I really like. And so that's what uh, really drew me into when to be a member. And so I joined at the beginning of the year after you know November and December, going to a few um, a few uh, meetings, and I've loved it. it it's been a great experience. Um, the The amount of just community knowledge and and networking that goes on is is really great. It's great for me, and I'm looking forward to being able to get back in person. You know, we we haven't been in person since I joined, so it'll be nice to. Yeah, we've been meeting yeah. on Zoom. Oh yeah. <laughs> And it's going well, too. I mean, it's as good as it can get right now, I think, we've with been, Zoom. We've adapted. Yes, yes. And your employer is supportive of your work in the community, too. Tell us about that relationship with your company. Yeah, so I work uh, developing and marketing outdoor products for mm-hmm. Costco. Costco without the T, C-O-S-C-O. Some people don't realize it, but it's actually short for Columbus Specialty Company, which has been here in Columbus for over 80 years. Uh, We started the outdoor group about two years before I joined, and it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, There's a diverse product portfolio, and it just it really goes well with my interest in supporting outdoor outdoor initiatives, you know, outdoor advocacy, environmental advocacy. And my, my manager has just been incredible to work with, you know, she sees the connection and and values the kind of work I do in the community. She actually works out in Seattle. And the last time she was here, she wanted to go see Blackwell Park that we were talking about earlier. And, Mm -hmm. And we went for a stroll up there and did a little hike in the woods. And, you know, she was really happy to be able to do that. And, and so it, it's been neat. It, it's it's great to feel like, you know, the, the work I'm doing with outdoor products is also appreciated with just greater outdoor service, right? So uh, it, it's been a really good experience. Yeah, I like to say that the strength of a community is because we have a lot of companies that care about this community, and they care through the expression of their employees. That's and right. a great example of that. Yes, Thank you for doing what you do to help our community. Yeah. Yeah, we, we had a nice volunteer uh, gathering during the United Way Day of Caring at 7th and Washington. We uh, donated a couple picnic tables to the nonprofit, and uh, that was a really nice uh, event for Costco. It was a good team-building event. A lot of people appreciated what we did that day. So that's good. Thank you for that. Yeah. As you look to the future, Mm-hmm. What do you see in the future as it relates to community and community engagement? You know, I like the trajectory we're on. I'm really happy with the the partnerships we see in the Columbus Pollinator Committee. 
Um, another thing that's started this year uh, in partnership with the Nature Conservancy is getting large volunteer groups together and cutting out um, invasive plants. So just two weeks ago, uh, a large group from Toyota came out. And we went to Mill Race Park in town, and we spent about two hours and cut out hundreds of honeysuckle, uh, which is an invasive plant that really wants to take over the, the forest there at Mill Race, as well as uh, white mulberry. And, you know, I was talking about native plants earlier. Um, mm-hmm. They get crowded out by invasive species, and honeysuckle is a, a big culprit. So... It, it's fun being able to do the planting with natives, but also doing more of the demolition work mm-hmm. with invasives. Um, I, I really like pruning and get, getting out there and just cutting out, you know, trees that are 12 inches in diameter. is uh, It's pretty fun, too. And there's somebody listening right now, and you, you know who you are, and you want to get involved. Eric, how can they get involved? Well, you can reach out to me. Um, my email is eric.riddle, E-R-I-C dot R-I-D-D-L-E at costcoproducts.com. That's C-O-S-C-O products.com. We also have a Facebook group called Friends of Pollinator Parks. Uh, in that group, we post all of our events, all of our volunteer events. There's a lot of good dialogue that goes on in there about uh, Columbus and beyond, and lots of questions about plants, and, and good articles are posted. Uh, those are probably the two best ways of, okay. of learning more. And I will have both of those in the show notes. Okay. So they'll make it easier for people to find you and reach out and connect and volunteer. Thank you so much, Eric. It's been a privilege having you as a guest for this podcast. And I want to thank you Thank you so much for being with us today, for joining this conversation. And yes, we would love to have you volunteer in our community to make this community a stronger place. Yeah. Thank you so much. Keith, thank you so much. It's been Take a pleasure. Care. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Embers in Wind. If you enjoyed today, please come back next week. Please also share this episode with a friend. If you've not already subscribed to Embers and Wind, rated this podcast, and written a review, please do this now. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at embersandwind.net. Thank you again for joining us.